0: a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Jesus said, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Um. So, Matt Morgan, I was noticing something about you, that um, you could possibly use a haircut. My dad's a hairdresser, and, um, and if it's all right with you, I'd like to just um, give you a haircut. Do you mind coming up here, Matt? <laughs> Matt, seriously, just let me have at it for a little bit. I, it, it'll be good. I, I'm, I know what a good haircut's supposed to look like. I've grown up all around it, so I'm pretty sure I can, I can do it. Where are you here? To the right. How absurd would that be? I mean, the reality is that you would never let anyone near you with a bag on their head trying to cut your hair, right? In a sense, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. When Jesus says, take the plank out of your eye, the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's, when he said that during the Sermon on the Mount, it was probably one of those times when everyone cut up laughing. Like, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Of course you wouldn't let somebody near you. The log in the brother's eye, or in your own eye, is, is basically like a, a, the log from a log cabin is the terminology that's used. So Jesus is saying, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, but you have an entire log cabin log sticking out of your eye, you should probably take care of that log first. And the crowds listening to Jesus probably broke up with laughter that day, thinking, this guy is crazy. And yet at the very same moment, they realized the seriousness and gravity of what Jesus was saying. Because in the midst of that laughter and the absurdity, they realized Jesus was bringing a harsh warning to all of us. Do not judge, lest you be judged. Don't see the speck in your brother's eye if you don't realize you have an entire two by four stuck in your head. As we look at this passage this morning, I want to look at three areas First, do we do this? Do we do the thing Jesus is warning us against? Secondly, how should we do it right? Is there a right way to do the opposite of what Jesus is saying, warning us against here? And thirdly, what do we need to be able to do it and do it well? So the first is this. Do we do the sort of thing Jesus is talking about, warning against? Judge not, lest you be judged. Worry about that log before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye. And if we're talking about judging in that terms, we need to use the word probably judgmental. We get that one, right? The reality is all of us on some level are judgmental. We're all pretty good at it at times, even as much as we don't want to do that. We can be judgmental towards our own kids, towards people who we have to work with, people in school. I generally feel like I'm not judgmental, but I've realized more recently that One area that I'm judgmental in is towards other people's parenting. Now, the reality is every single person is judgmental towards other people's parenting. Empty nesters are judgmental of people with their kids not remembering what their kids were actually like. People with kids are judgmental of other people's kids because there's certain things about your kid that are okay. And people without kids, of course, are judgmental because, I mean, gosh, who would let their kids do that? I've coached kids, I've taught kids, I've been a youth minister, I've hosted parties, I've led camp trips, camping trips, I've done just about everything with all age of kid. And here's the area that sticks with me. It's when a kid comes to something completely unprepared. They don't have their glove at the game. It's going to rain on the camping trip and they have no rain jacket. And... What it is is that I, as a good cursina, have always anticipated everything perfectly. You see, I check the weather. And I know it's supposed to be cold or rainy. I know I'm going to a game. You're supposed to bring the glove. And so I assume that every other parent is going to be just like me and make sure their kid has everything they need. But apparently that's not the case. And it makes me get frustrated. Now, this has always been an issue for me. Early on, when Sarah and I were dating, I had one of those judgmental mentalities, and it was because of this. It was a a November, December, January day. It was cool, and it was going to rain. I knew it was going to rain, and so what did I bring to my class? A rain jacket. And walking out of the class, cold and the rain had started, Sarah didn't have a rain jacket. I wasn't going to give her mine. That was her job to check the weather and bring a jacket. She was very offended that I didn't give her the jacket, and I'm not sure why still. (laughs) What was I supposed to do, check the weather and bring a jacket for every person on campus? I mean, come on. How was she ever going to learn? Right? I, I don't actually do that anymore. But it's amazing how our judgmental attitudes can blind us, right? I found that my judgmentalness is selective. I'm judgmental of other parents when their kids aren't prepared, but when their kids are loud and embarrassing, or their kids gloss over certain details, I tend to excuse that because those would be some of my own logs. Our judgmental side comes out, and it ranges all over the place. It ranges from the trite to the toxic to the destructive. Sometimes we're just judgmental about tastes and preferences. For instance, you may not be aware of this, but there are people who are indie music-listening suburban hipsters. They wear retro T-shirts and ironic clothing, and they are smugly judgmental towards people who listen to pop music, and watch reality TV. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's because suburban hipsters are judging you and you're not realizing it. (laughs) Sometimes it's trite. It's about things that we wear or listen to. But sometimes it's a lot more toxic, our judgmental attitudes. Like, finish this sentence. Finish this sentence. You know what's wrong with the country? It's those... Which those people are what's wrong with this country? It's a side of toxicity that's all over our culture, because our judgmental attitudes point towards people. Sometimes it's not just culturally toxic. Sometimes it's deeply destructive. Like in a marriage where one spouse is constantly criticizing the other. Or one is full of harsh condemnation. You always, you always is never a good way to start a sentence with your spouse. And whether it's a thousand cuts of criticism or a verbal assault every once in a while, You can destroy your spouse and tear apart a marriage. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. And we have to ask, does that mean never, ever, ever judge in any possible way? Most of us would wisely say that's probably not the case, that there is a place for discerning right from wrong, from finding truth, from speaking forth judgments in some way. But at its root, our natural reaction to say, never judge, is built out of our culture of tolerance. And honestly, I think that tolerance is a very good thing in our culture. The tolerance that we have today in America on many levels is very good because it allows people who disagree to not have to escalate into violence. And it allows people who are in the minority, for whatever reason, to feel safe. And that version of tolerance is very good. But there's also a level of extreme tolerance that we assume in our culture that is honestly pretty absurd. The taboo of today's culture is that there's only one thing you cannot do, and that is you cannot tell somebody that they're wrong. So it's wrong to try to tell somebody that they're wrong, which is of course a logical fallacy. Because by saying you can't tell somebody that they're wrong, if you're judging somebody who says somebody else is wrong, you've automatically broken your own rule by declaring somebody wrong when you said you're not allowed to tell anyone they're wrong. Go back and listen to that. All of the Sermon on the Mount is a judgment. In a couple verses after what we read, Jesus, in verse 13, says that there is a narrow, narrow gate that leads to eternity, and wide is the road that leads to destruction. He's talking about eternal life and death. The guy who said, do not judge, has just declared a clear judgment. And that's all of what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's Jesus saying there is a way to relate to God and to others that is called the kingdom of life, kingdom of God, and kingdom living. And you're either in it or you're not. And it's convicting and it's challenging because Jesus is bringing a judgment that's supposed to weigh heavy on us. So what's Jesus saying in verse 1 when he says, judge not that you be not judged? I think in this passage he's saying that there is a wrong, a blind, and a superior way of being judgmental that we all do at some time or another with certain sorts of people. But I think that implied in this, and we see it in that verse 12 talking about loving others, that there's also a way to judge well, to judge well with one another. For example, when you see your neighbor's house billowing with smoke from every window, is it judgmental to go and knock on the door and let them know their house is on fire? Or is it an act of love? So how should we do this rightly? How do we judge well? Jesus says in verse 5, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is suggesting that it's not don't take the speck out of your brother's eye, it's that there's a way to go about it. And if you think about it, most of our judgmentalness, or at least mine, arises out of superiority and concern for myself. Judging well, which Jesus talks about, begins with self-awareness and humility. It's saying, yeah, I've got some logs. Judging well moves from that towards compassion and involvement with the other person. I've got logs, let me help you work on some specs. If we don't believe that even having those logs in our eye can be a way that we... Sorry, when you think about having logs in your eye and you think, well, I'm I'm a sinner, I'm messed up, I shouldn't go and help other people... That would be a reason for an alcoholic not to help anyone else. But that reality is if you've ever met or known alcoholics or people that are recovering from alcoholism and people who are in AA, what they do very well is actually they judge well very often. Because the question is, could a recovering alcoholic help somebody who is an alcoholic? Or should they not judge? Because, I mean, after all, they've got the plank in their own eye. But what I've found is with many recovering alcoholics is they are quick to admit the size of their own log. And so when they see a coworker or a friend or an extended family member who has a drinking problem and they go and talk to them, it's not out of superiority, it's out of concern. It's out of mercy. They admit their own wrong and they go and they say, I will walk with you in this. Let me go with you to a meeting. You see, it's not having a log in your eye that makes you a hypocrite. It's not being aware that you have a log in your eye. Judging well begins with a humility and a self-awareness. But it is moved from that out of love and compassion. In verse 12, Jesus gives us the golden rule. You know this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Love them as you want and need to be loved. Jesus gives us the positive golden rule. Do this, do to them what you want done to you. The negative was also around in philosophical and Jewish circles in Jesus' day. The negative says, don't do to others what you don't want done to you, right? The positive has an extra nuance, and it goes something like this. If all you have is a negative version of that rule, don't do to others what you don't want done to you, then you can fulfill that rule by not harming anyone. You can fulfill that rule by not interacting with anyone. As long as I haven't harmed or done anything wrong to anyone, I fulfilled the negative golden rule. But with a positive golden rule, you have to get involved. Do to others what you want done to you. There's no place for sitting on the sideline. There's no place for just silence. The opposite, the opposite of being judgmental is not ignoring somebody's faults or holding your tongue around them. It's loving them more than you love yourself. Judging well is to be motivated by compassion and concern. When, uh, when we lived in Richmond and our kids were little, we had a house that uh, had a through street. And the through street was a, an occasional cut through for the high school kids on their way to school or on their way home. And if you've ever seen high school kids drive, sorry, any of you, um, it, it can often be very fast. Um, and so there we were on this through street with little kids, toddlers, and no fence around our yard. And I can remember being out in our yard And one of my sons, who was not even two years old, he he goes running out in joy towards the street. Right as school had let out and cars were starting to come. And I, of course, remembered this verse. Judge not lest you be judged. And I thought, who am I to intervene in his life? (laughs) I mean, if he wants to make these life choices... If this is the direction he wants to go, I have my own faults. I've probably run into streets before myself. Of course not, right? I yelled, I scolded him, and I said, never, ever run out into that street again. Now, did I do that out of an act of superiority? out of smug self-righteousness because I know better than to walk into streets when cars are flying by. No, I did it out of love because I actually care about my kid and I don't want him to get killed. Sometimes intervening in somebody's life is the greatest act of love and mercy. It's not judgmentalness, it's judging well. If we're motivated by love, if we're grounded in deep humility, then we will, Then judging well will affect how we go about doing it. Jesus says, first take the log out of your eyes so that you can see better to take the speck out of your brothers. You get that? You need to be able to do it well, not blindly give somebody a haircut. You need to be able to do it well, which means with each person, you have to approach it differently. But I've found that when it comes to my judgmentalness, and probably yours, there's certain ways that we go about being judgmental. We fall into these patterns. Some of us are the prosecutor type. The prosecutor is somebody who has harsh, slamming words for people. Because after all, it's the truth, and they need to hear it. And if it's the truth, and I'm telling it to them, then it's okay however I deliver it. Most of us are too cowardly to be prosecutors what we tend towards is one of the other ways of going about being judgmental. One of them is to be a team player. A team player is the kind of person who likes to build consensus. So rather than going and confronting and slamming the person, I gather two or three friends and talk about the other person who I dislike. And in that version of judgmentalness, I've gathered up a posse, and together we've collectively come to the same conclusion, which makes it right. My favorite is the philosopher. That's the judgmental side that doesn't say it to the person. It doesn't gossip with other people. It just thinks the thoughts. It mulls the judgmental and angry thoughts. And internally I say, but I held my tongue. Judging well involves something altogether different. It involves this word, friend. A friend judges well by getting and staying involved in the person's life. Nathan confronts David, that reading out of 2 Samuel 12. He does it by telling that story. A a certain man, a poor man, had only one lamb. A certain rich man had many flocks. And when a visitor came, the rich man stole the poor man's lamb, slaughtered it for the feast. David was furious not seeing the log in his own eye, judging this rich man who he'd never met. David was acting judgmental and hypocritical, but Nathan was using it to turn on David. Nathan was trying to get David to see his own sin. This was a dangerous act by Nathan. Any king in that day and age could have had Nathan executed for doing this. But Nathan loves David so much, he's willing to die for him. And after David confesses, we also see that Nathan walks with David continually. He loved him enough to stay with him. At the end of David's life, there is Nathan beside him, helping to have his son Solomon coronated. You see, Nathan was not just trying to confront David in his sinfulness of adultery and of murder and of hiding it and lying. He was trying to walk with David because he loved and cared about him and said, and I will continue walking with you. Judging well involves self-awareness and humility. It involves selfless concern and love. And it involves commitment. Commitment to the people that we're interacting with. The aim of judging well in the scriptures is to gain a brother. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about confronting a brother who has offended you. And the reason why you go and tell them how they've offended you is in order to gain them, gain that friendship again. In Galatians 6, we're told to bear with one another's burdens. And when somebody falls into sin, the aim is to restore them. In James 5, it's a similar idea. It's to bring them back. And in Romans 15, the whole purpose of interjecting in somebody else's life is for their good and not for your own. The aim is to gain, to restore. And as a result, the approach may differ with each person. Think about how Jesus does this. Jesus judges well, in the way we're talking about it, throughout his life. Sometimes he's actually pretty tough, like the words that he uses for the religious leaders, or when he rebukes Peter, or when he challenges the rich man to give up everything and come follow him. Jesus is applying harsh challenge and critique because he really wants to win the religious leaders and Peter and the rich man. But when it comes to the woman at the well in John 4, Jesus judges in a slightly different way. He does it with kindness and compassion. Now, he tells her her sin and calls her sin what it is. You are putting your trust in men And even the man you're with right now is not your husband. But he does so by offering her dignity, by extending to her love and kindness, and by giving her hope and the hope of forgiveness. When Jesus confronts Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the tax collector who had swindled money from all of his fellow citizens in in Jericho, Jesus wins him over with love. Jesus doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to give back what you've stolen. What he does instead is he says, Zacchaeus, how about we be friends? Would you like to host me, have the honor of hosting me to dinner tonight? Let's, let's eat a meal together. Zacchaeus is blown away that somebody as good and righteous as Jesus would want to spend time with him. And as a result of being loved, possibly for the first time, Zacchaeus repents and says, I'm going to repay everything. You see, sometimes loving the person can be all the judging that is needed. The goal, the aim in judging well is not to win the argument. It's not to prove them wrong. It's not to put them in their place. The goal of judging well is to win them it's to benefit them it's to deepen and strengthen the relationship judging well involves humility and selfless concern and committed love and we don't do this very well so what do we need what do we need to do this well Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. What Jesus is saying there is not necessarily just, if you judge people harshly, they're going to judge you harshly. But rather, if you judge people harshly, the judge will judge you harshly. See, Jesus is trying to orient us Godward and say, we need to live our lives as if always before the judge, the creator, And judge. In order to do this judging well, we need to realize that we are judged. The Bible makes it clear all have sinned, all have erred, all have fallen short. It tells us that we are dead in our trespasses, like people on death row. By nature and by action, we are guilty the gospel tells us that we are actually more sinful and guilty than we're willing to admit. But this side of the gospel should humble us deeply. I have no place for smug rightness, for looking down on others, for superiority in any way about anything if I fully grasp that I stand under the condemnation of God for my own broken sinfulness. We need to realize that we are judged, and yet we also need to believe that we are pardoned. The Bible tells us God made him, Jesus, sin, who knew no sin so that we might become those who are justified in God. And there is now no condemnation, none for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news of the gospel is this. The judge was judged so that we, the guilty, might be pardoned. When we grasp that we are more deeply loved than we can dare to imagine, it will transform our approach to others. I no longer need to steal love or defend my worth, which is essentially what I'm doing when I'm being judgmental, because Jesus has given me the love and the assurance and the identity that I'm deeply longing for. The gospel moves us to humble and loving intervention. We all need our teeth checked for spinach. I have the sort of teeth that um, everything sticks to. There's not a meal that's eaten by me that something isn't on my front teeth. My wife lovingly points this out to me. I defensively do not receive that well. Why don't I receive that well? Because I want to be in control of my own life. I want to to know when everything is wrong and I'll fix it before anybody has to say anything. But the reality is, I need somebody else to tell me there's something on my teeth. The deeper reality is that we all need people to check our metaphoric teeth, our judgmental tendencies, our sinful struggles, our life direction. Judgmental friends, judgmental families are hell. But what might it look like to be family, friends? a church who judge well, I think it would begin to look a little bit like this kingdom of God that Jesus keeps talking about. People who love and care about one another with selfless humility and concern and walk with one another through thick and thin, that's not hell. That's heaven. And that's what Jesus wants to offer us in him and with life in him. Let's pray. God, it is only by your mercy and grace that we don't have to live condemned. And from that position of knowing that we are loved, deeply loved and forgiven, we are able to love others well, to enter into their mess and their brokenness and walk with them. As fellow log eyed people, saying, Let's work to get this out so that we can enjoy life to the full. Amen. Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song, the joy of my heart. Boast to my tongue Thy free grace alone From the first to the last Hath won my affection and bound my soul fast Hallelujah Thy mercy, my God Is the theme of my song the joy of my heart Boast to my tongue Thy free grace alone From the first to the last Hath won my affections Bound my soul fast Hallelujah